Our gospel reading for today is from Luke chapter 11. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Peace of the Lord be with all God's people. Amen. Would you please be seated? Last week, Pastor Luther set the stage with, uh, with us about prayer when he reminded us that prayer is not guilt, but prayer is gift, right? That God invites us to call on him, that God invites us to call on him at any time and in any place. And today we kind of get into the content of prayers. What are we called to pray for, right? When we start thinking about prayers for, uh, we could start with all kinds of stories of fulfillment, Right? I'm hoping that you, like me, have lots of stories of fulfillment of times when you know unequivocally that God answered your prayers. Right? I, I could say, um, for example, in my life, <clears throat> when I was in grade school, I used to pray at the same place on the bus, the same time when the bus is moving, the same place every day on the bus route for the same thing. We'd be passing Asawamsa Pond. I don't know why that's where I prayed, but I would always pray for big hands and big feet and to be seven feet tall. I have size 16 feet. I'm six foot six. I'm six inches taller than my dad. Right? My mom's six eight, but that's another story for another time. It's a joke. Some of you are like, wow, it's not really six. That's a joke. It's just a joke. But I did, the rest of it is true. And praying those things to God, I, I have stories of fulfillment. And, and likely now stories are going on in your mind about stories of fulfillment, the ways that God answered your prayers, and we're reminded that prayer always directs us back to God, right? Prayer sees God at work in our world, God, God still at work in our world, in our community, still at work in our lives, and maybe getting away from our personal examples and go to a biblical example, a time of fulfilled prayer. It's a story that you know well, though we don't typically talk about it in September. It's a story that we usually talk about in December, all of the revelations that revolve around the birth of Jesus. And in particular, there was a revelation given to a man named Zechariah, whose wife was Elizabeth. And Zechariah was, was chosen by Lot to be the high priest for the year. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, the scriptures tell us, were well beyond childbearing age. In fact, it tells us twice in Luke chapter 1 that, Luke, that, excuse me, that Zechariah was very old. Now, we don't have to get into how old is very old, but suffice it to say that the prayers they had prayed as youngsters for a child had long since ceased to be prayed. And yet here was Zechariah in the temple, serving as high priest for the people, and as he's offering sacrifices and petitions on behalf of the children of God, an angel appears to him, the angel Gabriel, 
And the angel Gabriel begins by saying, Zechariah, God has heard your prayers. And I want you to stop there for a second because we typically go on to the rest of it. And we know the story that Zechariah and Elizabeth will end up bearing a child named John who would be the forerunner to Jesus. But, but here in the midst of that altar, in the midst of that statement, Gabriel says to him, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers have been heard. And I imagine that Zechariah probably stopped for a second there, ran through in his mind, which prayers? Right? Which prayers has God heard? Was it the prayers that I was offering on behalf of God's people, asking him to overthrow Rome and to establish Israel as a nation again? When I prayed that God would, would give us a king in the line of David, was it the prayers for forgiveness? That God would forgive the sins of his people? Was it, was it those prayers? And then Gabriel says, your wife will conceive and bear a child. Now for those of you who maybe don't consider yourselves very old, but perhaps mature in years, how long has it been since you prayed for a child? And so I would just love, just in this one story in the Bible, I'd just love to have one snapshot of Zechariah's face when Gabriel said that to him. And Zechariah said, but we stopped praying that prayer. But God said, I haven't fulfilled it the way that I want to yet. And that in the fulfillment, years in the making, in the fulfillment of that promise was this tremendous blessing, not only to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also to the children of Israel, not only to the children of Israel, but to all of us as John, the one we call John the Baptist, would come to be the forerunner of Jesus, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord. And in the fulfillment of that prayer, we see God at work. We see God at work in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth throughout their entire lives, not just in that moment. We see God at work in the entirety of the answer of that prayer, not just in the yes that comes late in life. And for us, we who follow Jesus, we are called to have the same eyes of faith, right? to have eyes of faith that see God at work. The eyes of faith about which the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, when he writes these words, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. We are called to have eyes that see. Eyes of faith that see the fulfillment of prayers that see the fulfillment which God has worked in us, that see the fulfillment of the prayers that are offered according to God's plan. And prayers that are offered according to God's plan are always offered according to God's character. Right, I'm gonna say that again for you. Prayers that are offered according to God's plan are always offered according to God's character. In other words, we're asking God to work in and through us. We're asking God to work in and through our world. And we're asking him to do so based on who he is, and saying, God, you are our loving Father, and so we pray that you would provide. God, you are our almighty God. You are our Savior, and so we pray that you would. These are the prayers that are offered by God's people according to his plan, and therefore according to his character, and that we would be given eyes to see their fulfillment. But I'm going to ask you to kind of be real honest this morning in a couple of different regards, and one of them is this. We often don't think of prayers being fulfilled unless we see something extraordinary, right? I mean, I know I'm not the only one in this. 
right, that we see prayers fulfilled only when it's something extraordinary. It goes like this, right? I, I've been praying my entire life for this same prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd give me a Maserati. Right? And then I open my eyes, and I expect to like see fireworks, and there's the Maserati sitting in front of me. And then I'll know that that prayer was fulfilled, because it was extraordinary. But so often, God acts in the ordinary. So often, God acts in plain and common ways. And the truth is, our prayers are even invited to reflect that ordinary activity. Let me give you an example. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. What's extraordinary about that? And is it only a fulfilled prayer? Does God only say yes to that prayer if, if we open our eyes from that prayer and there in front of us is a cooked meal? No, you see, it as believers in Jesus, our eyes of faith see God at work in and through us. And so it's extraordinary to know that God fulfills that prayer request, that God fulfills the request for daily bread by giving us gifts and talents and abilities that enable us to go and to work hard and to have an employer that pays us according to that work, and that we can then take that money and we can go to a grocery store where other people's gifts and talents and abilities has provided food which comes in neat boxes and saran wrappings. And we can pay for that. And we can go to our houses and with gifts and talents and abilities we can prepare a meal and our family can eat. Daily bread. Fulfilled prayers. And yet it becomes so common and so ordinary for us that we forget that it's a gift of God. And sometimes the only thing that will remind us that it is a gift of God is when we're reminded that some people don't have it. We're reminded that there are those who don't have those ordinary common things or even, even one other truth in our world today and how poignant for a weekend like the 15th anniversary of September 11th we're reminded that sometimes things don't always go according to the ordinary plan. And when ordinary men and women go to work, sometimes they don't return. Give us this day our daily bread. And in the common and in the ordinary, we have eyes of faith to see that which is spiritual around us, to see God's fulfillment of those prayers and to see God at work, and to know that we petition our God based on his character and who he is, and to know, to know, brothers and sisters, that since we are praying according to his character and according to his plan, that he will answer every single one of our prayers. Now, this is going to lead to our, 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 uh, my, my next point, which is in understanding a little bit about how God answers them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on my soapbox for a second. I'm going to tell you one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, some of you will probably know the 1990s song that Garth Brooks made famous called Unanswered Prayers. Yeah, I despise that song. All right, and here's why I despise it. Not just because it's Garth Brooks or country. That's another story for another time. But because, <laughs> oh, you're paying attention. Fantastic. <laughs> this is going to be a riot. It's because of this. He chronicles all of these different prayers that God answered but he answered them no. And because God says no, then Garth Brooks in the song says, well, those prayers are unanswered. 
unless you should think I'm just picking on Garth Brooks, I heard a Christian radio DJ on K-Love this week tell a radio caller the exact same thing. Sometimes the best gifts are unanswered prayers. No, brothers and sisters, the scriptures tell us that God answers every single prayer. But it also makes it quite clear that sometimes God answers no. If we're praying, praying according to God's plan and therefore according to God's character, ask yourself this. What kind of father would God be if he never said no to his children? And not only that, what kind of children would we be if we never asked our father for something that's so outlandish that he had to tell us no? God answers no. And so I've been praying that prayer my entire life. God, give me a Maserati. But it's gone unanswered up until this point. God has answered no. And by the way, uh, some... Some detail-oriented people last night told me, well, you see, God answered the prayer about the extraordinary height, and therefore you wouldn't fit in a Maserati. (laughs) Details, details. But let's be more serious for a minute. What about those good prayers that God answers no? You see, it's easy to talk about the Maserati and to hear the words of James in James chapter 4, where James says this, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, right? With the Maserati, no matter how much I might try to trick God, I only want it because it's an earthly passion. No matter how much I might try to tell God, no, really, it'll make me a better Christian and a better pastor. That's not why I ask. But there are things that we ask for that are good. Things that we ask for in faith. Lord, Please heal my. Lord, please cause this evil to stop. And sometimes God still says no. And when God answers those prayers, no, it's not because he is in some way being arbitrary or being capricious. But it's still because of his character. And we are reminded that he is still almighty God and that we are not and that he is still at work in our world. And so even in the midst of those most difficult no's, we still petition God and we still say, Lord, give me eyes to see and help me to understand why you've answered no. And see, that's how we act as followers of Jesus. That the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see God at work even in the midst of no. But God doesn't only answer no, does he? Just as often, he answers yes. And what a joy when God answers yes to our prayers. When God answers yes to our prayers and we see their fulfillment, and we see that yes given to us, our Heavenly Father acting according to love, we're reminded of something like Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, where the Apostle Paul says this, My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Right? My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory. When you think about the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, what's he saying about those yes prayers? He's saying that those prayers are paid for by Jesus. And I'll tell you that every time I read Philippians 4.19, and I hope the same is true of you, every time I read that and I'm reminded that the yes comes at the expense of Jesus, it changes the selfish nature of my prayers. It changes me from saying, that the cross of Christ 
is worth nothing more than a sports car to saying the cross of Christ is worth everything. And so my prayers, according to the character of God, become ones for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for the ways that I've fallen short. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the way that I've treated other people. Lord, I pray that you would sustain in me a faith which lasts to eternal life. To understand it's for this that Christ has come. It's for this that my Savior has died. And because we have that foundation, because we know with certainty that those prayers are answered yes, then we are free as loved children to pray in everything, to to petition the Lord in, in everything and for everything, even for the ridiculous. And in understanding that God answers yes and God answers no, but God always answers. And that the purpose of both the yes and the no is something that Pastor Luther mentioned last week. It's that God would allow us to come to a place of peace with him. So the Apostle Paul, again, in Philippians chapter 4, in those familiar verses that start with rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. He says this, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then notice the and. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Eyes of faith see God at work. They see God at work in the yes, and they see God at work in the no. They offer prayers according to the plan of God that are based on the nature and character of who God is. They ask and they see fulfillment through eyes of faith. And I want to end with a really, really personal story. It's something that's actually still kind of ongoing and fresh for me. Most of you know that my dad died at the beginning of the summer. When people ask me, what I've been saying is his death wasn't a surprise, but the timing of his death was a surprise. My dad was dealing with dementia and cancer, and those progressed much more rapidly than they thought they would. And so even though he was in his 70s, uh, we knew that he was sick, and we knew that his death would be coming soon. And it was still difficult for us, and we gathered the whole family. Uh, We all gathered first in my sister's house in New Hampshire, and it it was such a joy because one of the gifts that we have as a family is that we're all believers, and my siblings are all active in their churches also, and and so here we were all gathered, and truthfully, we were just telling a bunch of stories, and we were laughing and crying, and most of the time, at this, at this, most, of the, most of the situation, most of the time was at the same time, right? Crying and laughing together. And Kate and I went down to Massachusetts to my parents' house to get, uh, to get the house all ready, because after the funeral service, we were going to have a big party, because we're all Christians and we're German, and so that's what you do after a funeral. And so you're getting the house ready, and I, I found myself praying a lot that week, I found myself praying, God, we need you to show up in a big way. We need you to do something extraordinary. We need, we need to see it. And we'll tell people about it, God. And, and, and you know what? And there'll be other people there to see it. We want you to do something great. And I didn't tell God what I wanted him to do, but I just, we want you to do something big. And one of the reasons I was praying that prayer because, was because it was really a shock for me and Don't misunderstand me, I didn't lose my faith or anything like that, but how quickly doubt creeps in. And how quickly you find yourself struggling with, 
dead is dead. And of forgetting the promises that God has made. And I was praying, Lord, we need you to do something big. Just confirm this promise for us. Well, everybody came down and we did the funeral service and my best friend Jason and I did the service and, and then after the service we had a party and then we had another party back at the house because the German, that's what you do. And everybody left and then we all family stayed at the house that night with all of our families and then in the morning everybody left and went back, most to my sister's house and some to the airport and some leaving and I was the last one out of the house and my mom wasn't going to be back in a while so we were shutting everything down in the house and closing all the windows and all the lights and locking everything up. And so me and my friend Jason and Julie, we were the last ones out. We were in the car and I looked back at the house and I saw that there was still a window open on the second floor and it was the bathroom window in my parents' room. And so I, I quick, I'll run back up there. So I went in through the house and I ran back up and I ran up there and as I was passing through their bathroom, I just kind of was overcome and I just, I just said, you know, God, I, I wanted you to show up in a big way and, and you didn't. And again, certainly God was present through the funeral and through the family and there were amazing things that happened, but just nothing that really stood out. No fireworks, right? I closed and locked the window. And as walking back to the bathroom, I realized again that prayer that I'd been praying, we need you to show up, was actually me saying, I need you to show up. God, I need this. I need that assurance. And so I'm kind of, emotional and I'm walking back to the house and I go back down the stairs and I need to tell you one other detail. With my dad's dementia, he had linked all of the lights in the family room to timers, right? And so the timers would come on like at 6 p.m. and then at 10, from 10 to 11, the lights in the room would start going off in sequence, like the light over the picture would go off at 10. And then at 10.10, the light over the fireplace would go off. And then at 10.20, the light over the TV would go off. And it had been a joke. And so we would turn to my mom and say stuff like, you know, Mom, are you subtly trying to tell us it's time for us to go to bed? <laughs> you know. And then at 11 o'clock, the two lights next to my dad's chair would go off, and the room was like dark, and it would be like, all right, we're going to bed, turn off the TV, right? Those lights all came on at 6 p.m., but this is 9 o'clock in the morning. I come around the stairs, and I walk through the kitchen, and there in the family room, and the lights are on. I can tell you exactly why the lights were on. They were on because someone was fiddling with the stupid timer trying to turn the lights on in the room because they otherwise wouldn't go on during the party. But in that moment, I just had that overwhelming sense of peace that said, I don't need to explain this away. My dad is safe with Jesus. His eternity is secure. And in just looking at those two little lights, I'm overcome with emotion and I'm saying to myself, that's what it means to have eyes that see. Because had the window not been open, had the timers not been set, had somebody not been fiddling with the timers, had I not been the only one to go into the house, that sign otherwise wouldn't have been seen. It's something so ordinary. It's something so common. It's something when viewed through eyes of faith that brings peace. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for you. To look with eyes of faith at life and to see the ways that God answers yes and the ways that God answers no. And to understand that prayer according to the plan of God is according to the character of God. And to have eyes of faith that see God at work all around.
And as you pray those prayers, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.